Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. So the text that we're preaching on this morning, I'm sure a good portion of you have heard messages preached on the disciples' encounter with the risen Jesus on the shores of Galilee, through the, and the, the whole miracle of the catch. We'll, we'll read that in a second. But I'm going to really approach it a little bit differently. Even as I do the reading this morning, I'll throw in a few comments, if that's okay, and then we'll get to the business of the Word of God. So John chapter 21, this is the last chapter in the Gospel of John. We made it, you know. Okay, after this, Jesus revealed himself again, to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, well, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, But that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, I think some translations say called to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul in because of the great quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, which is, of course, John himself, therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the boat. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they're not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. And so Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. I always found this interesting, this idea that John throws in here the exact number of the fish that were caught. And if you go to the commentary, oh, they come up with all this mumbo-jumbo numeric stuff and symbolic stuff. But could it be this simple? If you divide the number of disciples by the number of fish, it's not an even division. Somebody gets more fish than the other. (laughs) And that's one of the themes of this chapter. Somebody gets more than another. Okay, so here we are. Jesus said to them, come have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, well, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Here's the the part we're going to focus on this morning. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? The word for love there is, uh, is the word agape, which so many of us know. We've got agape churches, agape movie theaters. We've got everything agape these days. 
So he says, Simon, son of John, do you agape me more than these? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know. And the word that Peter uses is filio. You know, I feel us you. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I filio you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you filio me? And uh, he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. I filio you. And Jesus said to him, well, feed my sheep. I always wonder, you know, why the translations get this, they have such a hard time. I mean, the NIV says, puts for agape, says, truly love, but filio is love. So that the inference is that somebody who filios somebody else or loves somebody with a filial love is being less true than someone who loves someone with an agape love, which is not the intent here at all. And, and they stumble over it, so you almost have to go to one of the open translations to get the gist of this. And it always kind of amazed me. All right. So Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, when, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So Peter, I love this. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, following them, and the one who also had leaned back against him during the, 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 the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to the Lord, this is about John, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what's, what's it to you? I mean, you don't get that kind of starkness from Jesus too often. I love it. What's it to you? you know, forget about it. You follow me. Verse 23. So, so the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple was not going to die. But Jesus didn't say that to him, that he was not to die. But he said, it's my will that it's if it is my will that he remain until I come, what's it to you? So this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things as John. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the whole world itself would not contain the books that would be written. This is the gospel of John This is the word of the Lord. Amen and amen. Okay. So I'm going to approach this really differently this morning. The context of this episode is that the disciples are about to go into major transition. Everybody say the word transition. Transition. Okay. Jesus is about to ascend to the throne of the Father and to leave them as he told them he would be doing. And they are about to transition from the impeccable leadership of Jesus to the new leadership of Peter, who they all know hasn't really performed very inspiringly up to this point, right? So truth is the others haven't done so well either, huh? But Jesus is giving over the church and the kingdom to this seeming ragtag group of apostles 
And, and let's just look at them for a moment, just in case any of us feel inadequate here this morning. On the shore of the Sea of Galilee, here we have the risen Jesus with seven disciples. So I call this uh, like a tapestry of human inadequacy. So we have Peter, who's a betrayer, right? <laughs> then we have Thomas, who's a doubter. And then there's Nathaniel, who's a cynic, right? And there are the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and their reputation is that they're the, they're the thun, sons of thunder. And this indicates that for them, there was more noise in them than real character. And then there were two others unnamed. You see, I believe that there were two others unnamed because John's careful to name them. I believe there were two others unnamed because that leaves room for you and me. <laughs> and it's transition time. Time to pass the baton, as we say. And look at the rogues gallery that Jesus has chosen to work with. So he fries for them a breakfast. It's a, you know, it's a gospel fish fry, right? And fish for breakfast. <laughs> anyway, it seems as if there was a lot of chatter at the breakfast. Or not a lot of chatter at the breakfast, I'm sorry. Probably because there remains this like embar- embarrassment. There's an embarrassment at their performance during the crucifixion that wasn't quite stellar. And so Jesus pierces the silence with this renowned repartee between he and, and, and Peter. And he says to Peter, as I said, do you love me? But but Jesus but Peter says Peter he says to Peter agapas me do you do you love me with an agape love do you love me with a, a self sacrificing love because that's not what he did on the Mount of Crucifixion and Peter responds differently to Jesus he says philosu I I I'm your I am a committed thoroughly committed friend you are my BFF Jesus. So, wow, Jesus commissions Peter to ministry on that basis. huh? He commissions him to ministry. He says, feed my lambs. And Jesus, by the way, when Jesus says, feed my lambs, it's imperative. and That's in the grammar. In other words, this is something you have to do. And then Jesus says, for emphasis, asks Peter the same question a second time in the same way. Peter responds in the same way. And once again, Jesus commissions Peter to ministry on the basis of that. See, I mean, look, if, if filial love was not foundational, Jesus would not have commissioned Peter to ministry. But there's other things that are going on here. Okay, and you've got to remember that presumably as this is happening, it's with an earshot of the other six disciples. So there's an object lesson. There's a, a morning campfire fish fry question going on here. So finally, a third time, Jesus queries Peter as to Peter's commitment. And this time, Jesus moves in Peter's direction and says, Okay, Peter, then, do you filio me? Do you philos me? And not agapos me. And Peter's upset now because he feels that even in his understatement of himself, Jesus is challenging him, challenging the truth of where he's at. And Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know my heart. I do filially love you. And so he commissions Peter again a third time into this role of ministry. Now, there are so many more nuances. I mean, I've probably preached this message 
20 times. Not this message, but I preached on this text maybe 20 times. I could uh, some, sometimes rather hilarious because I, I completely mixed up agape and filio because of jet lag. So, <laughs> and everybody bought it, you know. So <laughs> there are all these nuances that you can play with with this, but but we only have we don't have time for all that this morning. We have bigger fish to fry. How's that? <laughs> so the disciples are at this pinnacle of transition. It didn't escape me. It was really funny. The way the, the, the prophetic word this morning and, and the, the song just intersected so perfectly. I love it when the Holy Ghost does that kind of stuff. Well, you know, when I, I don't know that we consciously realized, Ian, when we were choosing the, the, the different chapters are going to be read at whatever time. I don't think we consciously realized that this was a transitional scripture and we were moving into a transitional moment as a church. I don't think we were conscious of that. But here we are. So uh, it, it hasn't escaped me that the disciples are at this pinnacle of transition. NC4 is at a pinnacle of transition. So there's the uncanny alignment of this episode in the Gospel of John with the historical position of this church. I believe that's the Holy Ghost. Huh? So what I would like to do today is look at six attributes of ministry that Jesus commissions Peter and the disciples with so that they can go on and become uh, miracle fishers of men. But I'd like to, uh, to warn and add to NC4 today these six attributes so that we as a church, as we move into this new epic, which really we're almost in next, next week uh, in our history, and, and I'd like us to look at these attributes as we move into this really wonderful destiny that God has for us as a church. For I know we don't talk about MCC and NC4 much anymore, but you guys from MCC, this is so great. You know, it's so great. Danielle, what a job she did this morning. The whole worship team was great. But is she here? Is she, is she downstairs? Probably downstairs. Well, she just did a, such a great job. Where, where is she? Oh, you're in the sound booth now. Oh, man. Boy, you would look. All right. Was that a Taylor guitar? Well, it's beautiful, man. Ah, oh, it's the Yamaha. Okay. All right. I, I, I didn't know she could play guitar. I've always seen her lead worship from the, from the keys. All right. Okay, so look, over the course of the last year, We've all talked about the DNA of NC4. Who are we as a church? What do we value? Those kinds of things. And, and we've done it at other places and, and at other times. And talking about these attributes, this is not that. Okay. I'm not talking about DNA. What I'm talking about is soul and heart. The soul and hearts of people. The soul and hearts of leaders who, who, who want to display an attitude of humility moving forward that's going to take this church into its destiny. And I'm so confident that we're on the road to that. So I'm speaking for the leaders who are past, the leaders who are present, and some of you will be leaders in the future, as well as every member of this congregation. I call this message Attributes of Kingdom Fishermen. So what are the attributes of NC4 that we need to harbor that are enshrined like in this passage, in, in our collective heart, 
in order for, for us to be the church that Jesus is happy to perpetuate as we move forward. The first is this, discretion. You know I feel you. You know, I'm not going to overstate myself. I am finished being indiscreet. I am finished putting my foot in my mouth, says Peter. Peter is intent on learning the lessons, the lesson not to overstate himself. Like no disciple has put his foot in his mouth more than Peter has in overestimating himself and overstating himself. Are you there? Many times. So, so he told Jesus he would never forsake him, but you know, and then he denied him three times, which may be the reason why Jesus three times asked him to restate his love. But I want to go up to 50,000 feet here. And, and I believe that NC4 has been a church which has studiously avoided bragging, bravado, uh, about ourselves, comparing ourselves to other churches, diminishing other ministries. It ain't us. And I've deeply appreciated that heart and that attitude, that heart for the church across the Lehigh Valley because we, we're localized here. But so we are not a get a load of us church. Are, are you there? This is a, there's a species of humility that we have that needs to go forward. In, in the last decade or so, but especially the last two years, charismatic churches have been peppered with moral failure financial failure, big churches. I mean, it's been a crazy two and a half to three years. Every week there's another thing on the internet or what. And so uh, I suspect that some of these failings have been the consequence of churches building for celebrity, for glitz, for marketability, for, for coolness, for production growth, uh, all characterized by leaders who have become power lords. Are you there? We, we got no power lords here, right? That, that means a, a leader with very little practicable accountability. And that's not us. Matter of fact, we've had over the years a get a load of, get a load of me ministries. Anybody seen a get a load of me ministry? You know, get a load, get a load of me ministries have never done well at NC4 because our sheep, it's amazing to me, over the years are adept at smelling human ego. <laughs> I mean, really, it's amazing. I've said, wow, you guys have a lot more discernment than I ever anticipated, more than I'd have anyway. Uh, get a load of me ministries tend to come, become disappointed in their lack of a platform, and then they leave. And so I'm trusting that in the years ahead that we never fall prey to becoming a church that adulates itself. Is that cool? I mean, it's really important, especially over other churches. Like Peter and the disciples, we want to be a church in, in a love commitment to Jesus and then to sacrificially committing ourselves to one another and serving others. That's, that's an attitude. And I want to be known as a church like that. And I believe we're headed that way in bigger ways than we know. How, how, that's good, isn't it? Amen. The second attribute I see here is maturity, okay? Jesus says to Peter, hey, when you're old. Now, I can speak uh, from experience with this one. Hang on. Ah. All right. I've discovered in my ministry that people can grow old 
and not mature at the same time. <laughs> As a matter of fact, especially in the last two years, I've discovered especially that people can grow old and become less mature. <laughs> the, the word that Jesus uses when he says old here doesn't mean old in terms of age of years. The word, it describes the process of maturing. Hence, some of the translations say, say, when you're growing old. Now, there's such a myriad of ways to describe Christian maturity. I mean, how many, how many ways are there to describe maturity? In this passage, Jesus abruptly identifies two ways, just two of those ways to identify mature Christians. And once again, it comes from Peter's putting his foot in his mouth. Yeah. After Jesus challenges Peter, Peter looks at John and says, well, what about him? Right? Isn't that what he does? It's like, (laughs) and therein lies the lesson. Here we go. Mature Christians have ceased to focus on everybody else, but begun seriously to focus upon themselves. And, and, you know, it's interesting. As I grow older and older, my focus comes this way and not that way. You know, because as my focus comes this way, I got to meet him. Are, Are you there? There, there is that consciousness. Yeah. And so Jesus, I like this because Jesus appears to be a bit astonished that after all that he said to Peter, he wants to know what's going to happen to John. I mean, you know, and I have this, like there's this sense in the text as you read it that Jesus is a little freaked out. You know, what does it take to freak out the risen Jesus? You know, <laughs> all right. So you get this almost a sense of sarcasm. What's it to you? Peter's, Jesus says, if he lives until I return, what's it to you? But the whole incident is triggered by the disregard of another mark of Christian maturity. Mature Christians, hopefully, know when not to speak. Huh? <laughs> A less gentle way of saying it is mature Christians know when to keep their mouths shut. There's something about, you know, being able to sit there and hear things and be able to say, I could say something here, but I'm not going to do it. And if, if, if you don't have that capacity, if you don't have that ability, you want to find a wife who will tell you to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> How many times has my leg been squeezed under the table? Anyway. <laughs> And, and it wasn't romantic. <laughs> oh, man. Hallelujah. All right. We're running late. So I won't use that example. I have another example. It'll probably get me in more trouble. So, Okay. The immense difficulty in understanding NC4's public posture during the pandemic and then politi- you know, politically, was this. We had to ask ourselves as leaders, when does morality stop and when does politics begin? I mean, when do ethics stop and when does fracturization and political, medical stuff begin? And we had to make decisions and we had to speak decisively at a time when nobody was sure about anything. Are you there? And when are we leading our sheep? I, I remember thinking, when am I leading my sheep? And when are my sheep leading me? Huh? And it's been a tough season, but I hope and pray 
our church has matured through that because there's more tough seasons coming. I, you know, we have a seminary. Our, our one focus network is associated with a seminary in Kiev in the Ukraine. And three weeks, four weeks ago, I was in Staunton, Virginia, doing an ordination of a new associate pastor down at Grace Covenant in Staunton. And, and uh, Steve Paulus, who was one of the individuals, he's a pastor at Staunton, who helped found that seminary, had the, um, the, the, the seminarians who were in the seminary at Kiev, what's it? It wasn't a live stream. It was, a, it was I guess it was just a, a video, video in to the service and talk. And I saw men and women with their children hiding in the basement while they were being shelled. And, and I thought, you know, you never know. A year ago, they would never have dreamed, you know, that they would be in that position. We don't know what's coming ever. But we trust God. We trust the perseverance of the church. And we trust our leadership, which is why I queried Lorraine that way when we laid hands on her and anointed her. All right. The next thing is self-denial. You will stretch out your hands, Jesus says to Peter. John specifically tells us that Jesus was prophesying the crucifixion of Peter. Old and and good tradition has it that Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. Upside down because he felt he was unworthy to be crucified in the same way that Jesus was crucified. And so, so we have this transitioned in Rome. We have a transition and transformed Peter by this time. And he says, no, don't crucify me like Christ. Crucify me upside down. By the way, the archaeology in St. Peter's in Rome tells us that Peter's bones are buried under St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. I, I believe that's true. I've just researched it a lot. I believe that it's true. And the, the reason I'm mentioning that is the sanctuary of St. Peter was built the way it was built because it's cruciform. It's shaped like a cross. And ancient churches are all cruciform churches shaped like a cross. I ain't interested in the physical appearance of NC4. I love the, the renovations and all that, but I'm not interested in a church that's, stru- that's architecturally cruciform, but I am interested in a body of Christ that's cruciform. Huh? My concern is that the way the body of Christ at NC4 looks to a lost world looks like crucified people. People who've laid their lives down for one another, which, to be honest with you, I've not seen across the church world in the last two or three years much at all. Yeah. I, I, I want to be a part of, I want to be in that church. I want to see a church that continues to lay its life down for one another like I have in the past, yeah? That's why God grows churches, because they produce florid, thriving Christians. Okay. The next thing, because I've got to move along here, is identity. This is such a huge thing in the church world today. Never thought it would be that much, but, but it is. When I started ministry, it wasn't. Identity. Someone else is going to dress you, right? And this goes to appearances and identity. Jesus says to Peter, When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but now you're old, or when you're old, someone else is going to dress you. Dress. Jesus is saying to Peter, I'm going to change your wardrobe, buddy. I'm going to mess 
with you and dress you differently. The word for old that's described here, as I said before, does not mean aged in years so much as it means moving along in maturity, the process of maturity. And so so part of maturation is allowing God to change my perception of who I am. Really. I mean, one of the things that I can look at over the course of the last 40 years is I've changed in understanding who I am. Who I am to my, my wife, my, my kids, to my family, to my church family, to the, to the world at large. And I've watched oh, that terrible thing when you're younger that, that wants to look a certain way and be a certain way. And you just, when you get older, you just want to be authentic. Yeah? You just want to be real. Huh? And it comes that way. And so there's nothing worse than seeing some, some old guy who's 75 years old with a, a, a 21-year-old woman on his arm. Am I right? It's like, Really? You know, I mean, uh, you know, the, the idea of, of recapturing something that wasn't worth capturing in the first place. And so, all right, Tricia. All right. <laughs> I hope that we never become performers. Huh? All right. I hope we, you know, I hope we never have to struggle with the trappings of performance that has become a part of the charismatic church in the last 20 to 25 years in ways I can't believe. You know, I was involved with a church just a couple of years ago where, where, like, from the back, someone was, you know, it's a big church, lots of people raising their hands, hallelujah, what's it to you, all that stuff. And, and, and there's somebody in the back telling the worship team when they should dance, and when they should move. And I'm thinking, look, I want things to be done excellently in order. I want to be in a church like that, but I really don't want to be in a church that cares more about performance than the power of the Holy Spirit, man. Amen. All right. I did a blog. I just throw this in. I did a blog for an outfit in Nashville a couple of years ago. I was writing a blog and it was, it was on music and I loved it. I had a lot of fun doing that. But one of this, one of the, the, the blogs I did was on costumes in, in music performance, which was fascinating. I mean, to explore that world, the world of costumes and what the costume communicates to, to the, and it was just absolutely fascinating. I don't want to go to a church, which is a masquerade ball. Yeah. All right. This is cool. All right. 1 Peter 5, 5 says where Peter is actually addressing leadership, he says this, all of you be subject to one another. And then he says this, if you want to clothe yourself, clothe yourself with humility. God resists the proud, he says, and gives peace to the humble. Interesting. Peter doesn't say clothe yourself, but he, I'm sorry, he says be clothed. Excuse me. It's passive. It means somebody else has got to clothe you with humility. You know, if you refuse... <laughs> to be clothed with humility, you you end up being clothed with humiliation. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can I can vouch for that myself. Anyway, <laughs> all right, I got to move along. Uh, submission. Someone else will lead you. 
It's striking to me that years after this, Peter writes to the church this way in 1 Peter 5, 1. This is many years later. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. He doesn't say as an apostle, as an apostle of the Lamb, of a big mahaf. He says, I'm one of you guys. As a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. He says, he says, shepherd the flock of God that's among you. And he says, but do it willingly. Do it eagerly. Not by compulsion. If you're going to serve, don't whine and have a puss on. What was what he's saying? Yeah. Well, you know, the last two or three years, I have heard so much whining and complaining, not just about, I mean, I hear it everywhere. When I was, when, when how many of you know about One Voice and Share the Power? The, those, before those networks of local pastors uh, were formed, I went to a, a uh, Matter of fact, some of the meetings were here, somewhere over at Bethlehem. This is like 40 years ago. I went to a pastor's local fraternity, and these guys would just come in every week and whine about their congregations. And I thought, oh, I'll lead a church that I don't like. (laughs) And none of them liked the churches that they were leading. You know, that was the, you know, one of the good things about these, these networks that have come up is that kind of nonsense wouldn't be tolerated. Huh? It was that kind of thing. So it says, look, if you're going to serve, you need to serve with humility, but eagerly enjoy it. Enjoy what God has given you to do. Submission, okay? Peter doesn't describe himself, as I said, as a big mahaf. He he could, but he's just a fellow elder, okay? NC4, to reiterate, has never been a church for power lords. Our polity, that means the way we do government, is Presbyterian. It's not congregational. It's not hierarchical. There's safety in doing that. Why? Because it's in the Bible. Yeah? Leaders mutually submitted to, to one another and searching congregation for succession. You know, do you realize if you lead by consensus, it takes a lot more time than just becoming the king? Yeah? Are you there? You can get a lot more stuff done more quickly if you, you know, if, you, if you're el presidente. Huh? <laughs> All right. Lastly, okay, zeal for mission. Jesus says to Peter, you're going to go where you don't want to go. Wow, have I discovered that that's a part, parcel, being in the kingdom, huh? And Trish and I, when, when, we, when I became a pastor here, I was, I was studying to be a missionary to France, huh? which is why I, that's why I, I speak en peu français, <laughs> no, total français. That was the, that was the deal. And I, that's a whole other story. I don't want to get into that. But Lauren Cunningham, the founder of YWAM, said it. This is so true. Years ago, he said, I have become convinced that the kingdom of God is built on inconvenience. <laughs> Man, is that true? Inconvenient relationships and inconvenient destinations. Yeah? Uh, you're going to end up there. Oh no, anywhere but there. Trisha said, Listen, Trish, when I entered the ministry, she said, look, I'll follow you anywhere, Grub, except Wilkes-Barre. <laughs> Which is where we come from. <laughs> How many Christians have said, as many times as I've said, whether it's not just a locale, but it's in a position in your life where you say, Lord, what am I doing here? Anybody been there? What am I doing in this situation? What am I doing in this circumstance? Like, 
I guess you didn't realize this is where I'm at, right? You know, okay. So I wonder, as the saga of NC4, and the the musicians can come up, is is going to be continued how the Lord is going to challenge us. Pastor Ian, how is the Lord going to challenge us? You know, what if he speaks to us to revive a church in Kensington in Philadelphia? Huh? How many people would applaud that baby? Yeah. Worse yet, what if he speaks to us to revive a church at Tamaqua? You know. (laughs) I'm teasing about Tamaqua. Well, what if he what if he challenges us to plant a Spanish campus? If Jesus makes it plain what he's called us to, because we're called to one another, right? If Jesus makes it plain to what he's called us to. Will we be obedient? There have been so many surprises along the way of my ministry. I, I want to know that when, I, when I'm here and I'm a congregant, beginning next week, yeah, you know, I got my last paycheck this week. That means I'm on my own time, baby. You can't fire me now. <laughs> I'm coming up barefoot like Danielle next week when I preach. all right i'm so looking forward to next week's transition meeting i'm so looking forward to passing on the kielbasa (laughs) so let's pray father in the name of jesus we thank you for one another we thank you for the places that you've called us we thank you jesus for for getting in our faces lord when we're, we're being knuckleheaded. We thank you, Jesus, for, for directing us in the places where you want us to go because you want us to grow. Lord, we, you, we believe that we've been obedient individually and as a church, and we look forward to where we're going again. Lord, we bless the service next week and bless our weeks ahead. Lord, we pray for the Ott family as they commit of the mortal remains of their loved one to you. And we look forward, Lord, to to your peaceable kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.